Good morning, church family. It's good to stand before you. Uh, for those that, that might be visiting or new to Southern Hills, let me introduce myself. I'm Stephen Corbett, and I'm the communications minister uh, here at this church. I'm not the preacher. Um, so if you came expecting to, to see and, and hear from the preacher, come back next week. The preacher is Jared, and he's sitting right up here in the white shirt. Uh, Jared is on the fourth Sunday morning of a four-week you could call it like a mini sabbatical, a break that he is taking to, to read and to pray and to study and to prepare for the, the coming year. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that he's been able to take this break and, and to do the work that he's been doing. Um, I'm excited about what he will be preaching starting next week. And we're going to show an image of the sermon series that he's going to uh, begin this next week. It's called, The World is Not Ours to Save. I've heard a snippet about this series, and I'm excited about it. And just for fun, because we're used to this, here's a photoshopped image of Jared as Superman. <laughs> I got to say, I, I love this church. I, I do. I mean that with all my heart. I love this church. And there are uh, countless reasons that I love this church. But one of the reasons that I love this church is because we have shepherds who see uh, the, the grind and the challenges uh, of, of working as a minister, particularly as a preaching minister. And our shepherds have said to Jared, it's, it's cool with us that you take this time to step off the stage, to, to catch your breath, and to do some preparation for, for what is to come. Um, I'm glad that our elders see the value in that. I think we're a better church and a healthier church because of that. So I want to begin this morning's message uh, at the beginning. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter of the Bible. I'm going to start reading from the first verses of the first chapter of the Bible. Genesis 1, starting in verse 1, says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, I think if you ask most Bible-believing Christians, what, what was there in the cosmos before God spoke the words, let there be light, most Christians, I think, would say, uh, well, nothing existed. It was just like this void existed before God spoke those words. Uh, but Genesis 1, 1 and 2 seems to paint a little bit different picture. Genesis 1, 1 and 2 says that there was an earth that God created before he spoke the words, let there be light. But that world was, was different than the world that we see now. That world, Genesis 1, 1 and 2 says, was formless and it was empty. See, that world had no Grand Canyon. That world had no Great Barrier Reef. That world had no Mount Everest. That world had no Perini Steakhouse. <laughs> I like how Eugene Peterson translates it in the message. He says, the earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness. And on top of the world being shapeless and vacant, Genesis 1, 1 and 2 says that the world back then, before God spoke those first words, was totally dark. Like you can't see your hand in front of your face dark. Like you're laying in your bed at night 
and you're pretty sure there's a monster in your closet and your nightlight goes out dark. That's how dark it was before God spoke those first, those first words. Earth was dark, but then God stepped in and did something about it. Uh, Genesis uh, 1.3 goes on to say this, and God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And from that moment that we just read about, everything changed. Those words, let there be light, set into motion this chain of events that led to there being vegetation on the earth, and there being animals on the earth, and there being humans on the earth. Those words, let there be light, set into motion uh, colors being on our earth, and, and sounds being on our earth, and beauty being on our earth, all because God brought his good light to our planet. So, so before we go on, I want us to, to, to stop and get this principle in our heads, okay? It's going to appear on the screens. From the first page of the Bible, we see God noticing dark places, and then we see God transforming those dark places with his good light, okay? We following so far? Good. We see that exact principle lived out through Jesus uh, when he came to the earth. I want to read to you uh, some words that a man named John wrote. John, who, uh, who knew Jesus, who witnessed Jesus, wrote a gospel about the story of Jesus, says this early in his gospel in John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. John says, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's the principle God saw darkness in the world. He saw dark places in the world. Now, not the same kind of dark places that he saw in Genesis 1, right? Back in Genesis 1, the darkness was like a physical darkness, like a you couldn't see things darkness. The, the darkness that existed in the time of Jesus was more of a, a, a spiritual darkness, right? There, there was darkness in people's hearts. There, there was darkness in people's relationships. There was darkness in systems, uh, there was darkness in governments. There was darkness in religion. And so God saw the dark places, and he sent his good light in the form of Jesus to shine brightly and to transform the darkness in the world. A few chapters later in John's gospel, Jesus himself is talking, and he says this about himself. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. I love that phrase, the, the light of the world. Jesus came to earth to be the light of the world. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said that darkness cannot drive out darkness, that only light can do that. And for 33 years, Jesus came as the light of the world to do just that, to drive out darkness. He came as the light of the world to, to reveal the grace and the goodness of God, and, and to expose the injustice in the world, to make plain and to bring to light a, a, a path, a, a way of life that was pleasing to God. But here's the thing. The unfortunate reality that we know too well is that Jesus, who, who was a great light, the brightest light we've ever seen on our planet, 
In 33 years, he did not completely eradicate the darkness. We know that because 2,000 years after Jesus left this planet, we see darkness all around us. I mean, have you been watching the news or listening to the news? Every headline, it seems like, reveals and reminds us that there's darkness still on our planet. Stories of violence and drought and disease and corruption and war and abuse. I could go on about other stories that we see all around us that have to do with darkness. And then there are things that that, that don't make the news, things that probably many of us in this room are dealing with in our lives today. Things like pain and addiction and faithlessness and grief and shame, darkness. This world that was created by God and this world that is is loved by God is broken and it's fallen and it's a world which unfortunately has a lot in common with the world that we saw back in Genesis 1, a world that had darkness, a a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, a world where darkness seems inescapable. But fortunately, church, The same God that in Genesis 1 spoke the words, let there be light to transform the dark places. The the same God that, that sent his son Jesus into the world to be the light of the world and transform the dark places. He has a plan for our world. And he shared that plan through the, the words of his son Jesus in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, which is going to be our key text for the day. I encourage you to turn there if, uh, if you have your Bible. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, I'll also read it from the screens. Jesus, the light of the world, said this to his followers, to us. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, church, let's, let's, let's follow this here. Followers of Jesus, according to Jesus, his followers, that means you and that means me, we are the light of the world. That's, that's, that's not some cute little metaphor. Okay, that's, that's a significant calling. That's a calling for us to continue the work of God that God began in Genesis 1 when he said, let there be light. That's, that's a calling for us to continue the work of Jesus who came to be the light of the world, the, the Jesus that, that drove out the darkness, the Jesus that revealed God's grace, the Jesus that exposed the corruption and the injustice in the world, the Jesus that made plain a a way of life that's pleasing to God. Jesus did all those things as the light of the world, and we are to do all of those things as the light of the world. Church, that is a calling. That is a significant responsibility. That is a wonderful opportunity for us as followers of Jesus. And so for the next few minutes, I want to unpack three things. Uh, that, that I see uh, in, in this calling that Jesus gives us to be the light of the world, um, share those with you. So the first thing I want to share with you, as light of the world, we are light when we do good. We're light when we do good. This notion, this, this metaphor of being the light of the world, 
It probably brings up different word pictures in different people's minds. Some people might think of like a candle lighting up the world or something people might think of, of a lamp providing light. Other people think of this. Uh, like a flamethrower. And they see their job as Christians to aggressively go after the darkness of the world and the evil and the sin in the world and just and, and light it up in a blaze of godly glory. Okay? They, they take their light from God uh, and, and they, they see the wickedness around them and they go scorched earth and just like burn it down. The evil and the sin and the people who commit all the evil and the sin. Brothers and sisters, I don't think that's the approach that Jesus took at all. Jesus was known more for his gentleness than for his aggressiveness. Jesus was known more for his acceptance than he was for his finger pointing. And, and it might just be me that, that believes this, but it seems to me as I read the story of Jesus that the further he stepped into the dark places and the more he interacted with the people who were in the dark places... Uh, the more gentle he became. Uh, the, the, the more he stepped outside of his house of worship, the more, I don't want to say the more accepting because he's always pretty accepting, but, but you know what I'm saying? The more tender and, and, and cautious and careful and less aggressive he became. I see and hear too often, unfortunately, Christians taking a, a different posture than Jesus when it comes to interacting with people in the darkness. Their light is often harsh and in your face and just downright mean. It's like they take their light to shame people in the darkness and subdue and defeat people in the darkness. Brothers and sisters, I feel the need to say this. If, if we are using the light of God as a weapon to hurt others, we're doing it wrong. We're not, we're not being the light like Jesus was the light. If you ask me, people who, who take that posture when interacting with people in darkness, I would prefer that they would hide that light under a bushel because what they're doing is, is doing the opposite of good. It's, it's hurting, I believe, the cause of God in our world. Bob Goff, an author who I, I think is witty and funny and, and insightful, said this. He said, we can be the light of the world without leaving our high beams on and annoying everybody. And I think Jesus spells out pretty clearly how we can do that when he said these words in verse 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Church, that's it. That's, that's the key. That's the secret to being the light of the world in a way that's not abusive or in a way that's not annoying. We do good deeds. We do visible good deeds. Uh, the same kind of deeds that Jesus did when he fed the hungry and he helped the sick and he freed the oppressed and he lifted up the discouraged and he welcomed the outcast. Jesus says that when we do those things as the light of the world, when we do those good deeds as light of the world, people in darkness will see those good deeds. And Jesus said this, that they'll notice that and then somehow they'll be encouraged to take a step closer to God because of the good deeds that they see us do. Now, maybe not on our timetable. Uh, that's not up to us. And, and, and maybe we don't understand when and how that happens. But Jesus says that they'll see our good deeds 
and they'll glorify God. They'll take a step in the direction of God. And notice it's not our words that, that have people make that step. It's not, it's not our theology. It's not our thoughts about God. It's not our arguments about moral purity that, that cause people to take a step toward God. It's our good deeds, our visible good deeds, the kind of deeds that, that this church is doing. In the past few weeks alone, there's been a group of us that went to Peru to spend time with a group of young people who, who live in poverty. And for a week, we gave uh, them an opportunity to play and to learn about God and to just enjoy uh, the company of one another and these, these visitors that came to be with them. Visible good deeds. I think of our young people who went to Denver to work with Dry Bones, uh, to spend time with a group of, of young people in Denver that that don't live in houses. They live on the streets of Denver. Uh, and so our young people went to, to spend time with them, to share meals with them, to share conversation with them, to share love uh, and, and life with them. Visible good deeds. I think of what happened this last week uh, in front of our church building that's going to happen the next two weeks where we're giving out free meals to, to our neighbors, many of whom are struggling financially right now, many of whom don't know good ways to feed their kids healthy, nutritious meals in this gap where the schools aren't providing meals. And so we're giving them free meals and smiles and encouraging words, visible good deeds. Church, I think these are three examples, and I can name a lot more. These are three examples that, that spell out exactly what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about being the light of the world and doing good deeds. It's not hard. It's not complicated. We do basically what, what God did in Genesis 1. We, we notice the dark places in the world, things where things, or places where things aren't as they should be. Uh, we, we shine our, our light in those directions by our good deeds. That's how we shine our light. And then we trust in the transformative power of God's good light. That, that people who see the good deeds are somehow going to be encouraged to take a step in the direction of God. Now, Phil, it's important to hit the pause button on this real quick because uh, Jesus doesn't stop there when he talks about doing good deeds. A few verses later in the same sermon, uh, Jesus says something that, that I think our culture especially needs to hear. Okay, Our culture where just about everybody carries in their pocket a device that is programmed to take pictures, especially to, to flip that camera around and take pictures of ourselves as we're doing things, things that we want to be seen by others. Uh, and then we can instantly with those devices post those pictures so the world can see them and react to them and like them, right? Uh, it's, we live in this culture where people uh, project what they want to project so that they can be seen the way they want to be seen, so they can sell this brand that they are who they want to be uh, seen as. It's almost like Jesus predicted the day that, that we live in today. And so Jesus said these words, just a few verses after he talked about being the light of the world that does visible good deeds in front of others. Jesus said in 6.1, be careful not to practice your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Hmm. Same sermon, Jesus says these two things. Number one, he said, do good deeds in front of people so they'll notice and, and glorify God. But don't do your acts of righteousness to be seen by others. Church, there's a fine line. There's a, this razor's edge that Jesus tells us that, that we are to walk. Where we're doing good things, 
that others can see, but we're not doing good things to be seen by others. So how do we do that? C.S. Lewis gives us a pretty good answer. C.S. Lewis wrote, don't shine so that others can see you. Shine so that through you others can see him. I like that, Brother C.S. That's good stuff. Shine so that through you others can see him. Our shining is not for our own sake. It's not to get noticed. It's not to get attention. Our good deeds, our shining, our light is so that others through our good deeds can see him. We shine as the light of the world when we do good, number one. Number two, we shine as the light of the world when we live differently. Have you ever noticed that as Jesus is talking about you are the light of the world, he, he talks about lights and, and then a little bit later he talks about lamps and, and there's all this imagery of, of things that shine, but, but like shoehorned in there in the middle of, of lights and lamps, Jesus talks about a town on a hill, like seems kind of out of place, but I, I think it fits with what Jesus is talking about here. See, in the time of Jesus, a a town wouldn't be built on a hill. It would make no sense for a town to be built on a hill because you build a town uh, down at the base of the hill where it's, it's more convenient. Uh, you don't have to lug all your building materials up on the side of a mountain. Uh, there's, there's water and resources down below. It's easier. It's more convenient to build your house at the base of the hill than it is to, to build one up on the top. Okay? That was like, uh, that was the truth in, in the time of Jesus. Really, it's, it's kind of true now, Right? People typically don't build on the tops of hills and mountains. We, we build down below where it's easier, where it's more convenient, where there are more resources. Uh, for instance, if you drive south of town, like toward Buffalo Gap, you'll notice there's some like foothill, they're not mountains, they're, they're foothills. Uh, if you drive in, in that direction, you'll notice that, that there are Neighborhoods like miniature towns that are built at the base of those foothills. Lots of houses down there. But the higher up you get, the fewer the houses are. The more sparse and spread out the houses are. Why? Because it's hard to build up on the, the side of a mountain. It's easier to build down below. But you notice the houses on the hill, don't you? And especially at night, if you're driving by a, a, a mountain or a foothill, and that house that's built up high, if they have their light on, the, the light from that house can be seen from, from miles and miles around. You notice the house built on the hill. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking uh, about being the light of the world and, and then he goes into this town built on a hill thing. Jesus is saying that we are to build our lives differently from the people around us in a way that they will stand out and be different than the other houses. Whereas it would be more convenient for us to build our house at the base of the hill, lives and houses built on comfort and pleasure and luxury down at the base of the hill, Jesus is calling us to build our lives high, uh, on a higher place. To build our lives on things like righteousness and compassion and sacrifice and selflessness. We are to build our house not down below uh, but, but in a way that, 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 that's high, a way that, that stands out, a way that's like the way of Jesus. And up on that hill, when we build our lives there, we are peacemakers. 
And on that hill, when we build our house up there, we let our yes be yes and our no be no. And up on that hill where we build our lives, we give without letting our right hand know what our left hand is doing. And, and up on that hill, we build our lives where we trust God and we don't worry about tomorrow. And up on that hill where we build our lives, we, we don't judge our neighbors, uh, the, the speck in their eyes, without dealing with the planks in our own eyes. Are, are you getting kind of an idea of what it means to, to be that city on a hill, that town on a hill? Jesus is calling us to be countercultural, to, to be different, to stand out, to live lives that rise above the ways of the world. So let me ask you this question, and I want you to sit with this for, for just a second. Can you point to specific ways that your life is different and countercultural purely because of your faith in Jesus? Are there things about your life that are not the same as your neighbor's life, that are not the same as your life would be if you didn't know Jesus? But because you know Jesus, you've been transformed and you're different and you're distinct. If you're like me, there's work to be done there. Uh, because there are areas of my life where I, I think I, I feel pretty good about my answer to this question where I would say, yeah, God's worked on me. God's, God's done some stuff in me. He's, I, I'm different in certain ways of my life. But, but I know in my heart that there are a lot of areas of my life where I'm not that much different from the world. Uh, where I haven't let God transform me yet. Now, I believe that God is at work in me. He's not done with me. And I believe that if there are areas of your life where you haven't been transformed yet, where you're kind of still living like the world, he's not done with you either. He's at work in you. He, he's transforming us by his light to be light, to be that distinct town on a hill to live differently. We are light when we live differently. Thirdly, we are light when we shine together. Uh, it's time for me to, to flex my very small Greek grammar muscles real quick. Uh, go back to what Jesus said when he said, you are the light of the world. That word, you are the light of the world, that word you is a plural word. Okay, Jesus is saying y'all. Y'all are the light of the world. It's not a you, this is not a, an individual assignment. You are the light of the world. You Jesus is giving a group assignment. Y'all together are the light of the world. Uh, and, and to illustrate this concept of us being light together, we're actually going to do a little something uh, where I'm going to ask for audience participation, okay? Uh, if you have a phone, would you please pull out your phone? That is, if you know how to work your phone's flashlight, okay? If you don't, if you don't know how to turn your flashlight on, you can sit this one out. It's okay. No judgment. But if you know how to use your, your, your cell phone's flashlight, please pull out your phone. Don't turn it on yet. Don't turn it on yet. Um, in a minute, we're going to kill the lights. And I've asked Jackson Martin to be the first one. He alone is going to shine his light as one light. And we're going to see how bright this place lights up. And then after I tell you all to turn your lights on, we're going to see the difference. Okay? So, Dawson, let's kill the lights. Good. Jackson, shine your light for everybody to see. Kind of swirl it around, move it around, face the, your, your neighbors behind you, all that stuff. Y'all see his light? Okay, there's one light. Everybody, let's turn our lights on. Whoa. I was hoping this would work. <laughs> see the difference? 
pretty cool. Okay, well done, everybody. You can turn your lights on. Dawson, we can turn this light back on. You see the difference? Jesus came. Some of y'all are having a hard time turning your lights off. That's pretty funny. <laughs> good, y'all, y'all did good. Jesus came to be the light of the world, the original light of the world. And Jesus shined brightly and beautifully and powerfully, and he changed the world. There's never been a brighter light than Jesus. But Jesus left that, that responsibility of being the light of the world in our hands now. And I got to say, if we're going to have any kind of, of an impact that, that comes anywhere close to the, the light that Jesus shined, we can't do it alone. We, we've got to be shining with our brothers and sisters together. Right? Uh, this is not an individual task. This is a group assignment. This is a communal calling. So we've got to be in community with other people, like Heather and Taylor talked about, in community with other people doing those good deeds together. And we've got to be in community with one another, helping one another live distinct, unique lives on that hill where we're calling each other to holiness, where we're helping and encouraging one another, where we are keeping each other accountable helping each other live differently. We are better together, church, and we shine brighter when we shine together. Let me, let me land this plane. Uh, we started this lesson in Genesis 1 at the very beginning. I want to end it at the very end in, in Revelation 21. Uh, here the, the Apostle John that we read from earlier, he's at the end of his life, God has given him a vision of the world that is to come. The place that we all look forward to, some call it heaven. John refers, it to, uh, refers to it as, as a city. And John describes this city, this world, this existence that is to come with these words in Revelation 21, 23 through 25. John writes, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it its light and the lamp is its, and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of earth will bring their splendor into it. Its gates will never be shut, for there will be no night there. Church, a day is coming when there will be no more darkness, when death is gone, and disease is gone, and depression is gone, and loneliness is gone. There will be no more darkness, because on that day and forever after, God will provide all the light that's needed. There will be no dark places because his light will, will permeate everything. But that day's not here yet. It's coming, but it's not here yet. And so, we've got work to do. Or more specifically, we've got light to shine. So let's shine.